Welcome. You're listening to the Diving In podcast, brought to you by Virginia Seymour and Louise Jones. This podcast is part of a lifelong conversation between friends about the books we're reading and the issues they make us think about. That also goes for the movies and television we're watching and the podcasts we're currently hooked on. We might even talk about what's in the news and anything else we're diving into this week. Diving In. Hi, Lou. Hi there. We're back. Yay. Yes. It's fun to be back. We really did both need that break, didn't we? Did. We? we did. We but did. now we're feeling fresh again. Yes. And we've got some great episodes lined up to take us through to the end of the year. In fact, we've actually got too many we ideas. Have. We have. We have. Um, and it's going to be hard to fit everything in that we want to cover until... Well, well, it's actually four months till the end of the year. It is. But that'll take care of itself because there'll be things that we naturally want to read more than others yes, I think yes so, yeah it's spring here in Australia and there's just nothing like spring in Perth in mm. my opinion the air changes and there's this just a sense of optimism and brightness yeah. and I don't know it's just a really nice feeling and we're sort of heading towards a nice summer so lots of birds are tweeting yeah it's gorgeous and we're sitting in Louise's study which she tells me she has deep cleaned <laughs> And it does look beautifully clean and COVID-free. We've got big cups of tea and a David Herbert ginger cake. Which was delicious. So we hope you'll make a cup of tea and join us as we chat about the books we've been enjoying since our last episode. And we'll also talk about some of the other things we've been diving into. And I'm particularly keen to hear about one thing that Lou did recently down in the beautiful southwest yes, of our state. Yes, Yep, that'll be good to talk about. Yeah. So, Lou, did you want to start off with one of your yeah, books? Yeah, I will. I will. The first book I'm going to talk about today is Eight Detectives by Alex Pervezi. As soon as I started reading this book, Ginny, I thought of you because oh. it has a lovely old-fashioned crime novel feel to it. That's me. That's you. Um, so, Julia Hart is a book editor. It's the 1970s, and her publishing house, which is aptly called Blood Type Books. Oh, my gosh, that's so good. So good. I want to work there. That is so good. Um, it's looking to republish a book of crime stories, and they're all murder mysteries, and the collection was written in the 1930s by a professor of mathematics from Edinburgh University, Grant McAllister. And this is all fiction? This is complete. The whole thing is fiction. Okay. Yeah. So McAllister believed that all murder mysteries followed a mathematical structure, a set of rules. And in order to be a proper murder mystery, a story needs to fit into those basic rules. So rules relating to the number of suspects, victims, detectives, oh. et cetera, et cetera. And look, the mathematical aspect to it gets more complex as you go on. But he wrote a research paper in 1937 called The Permutations of Detective Fiction. And then he wrote this collection of stories. So it's suggested in the book that his research into those mathematical rules are hidden or woven through his collection right. of fictional stories. So he wrote the seven stories, which were published in a collection known as The White Murders, and then he disappears. Oh. And we move forward about 25 years, and Julia Hart has tracked him down living in a cottage by the water on a reclusive island. And what country are we in? We're never told where oh, it is, but so we know bit... it's the Mediterranean. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Oh. So the chapters of this book alternate between the seven stories, which are all in there, and chapters where Julia is interacting with him and chatting to him about those stories. So she visits him on the island She's staying in a hotel and she spends her days chatting with him. And, of course, she's an editor, so she kind of wants to pull the stories into shape so that they appeal to a wider audience. So she reads the stories out loud to him. And they discuss the story and she asks questions. And as any good editor would, she raises, you know, inconsistencies. Why is that character doing that? That didn't seem to fit. Why is that dog there? 
And, of course, the seven murder mysteries were written in the 1930s, so she's kind of bringing fresh eyes and perspective oh, okay. yeah. to the stories as an editor. And I think it's fair to say that as the seven stories progress, they become a bit more involved and a bit more complex and they perhaps throw up more questions and more mathematical permutations. And McAllister's answers are not as forthcoming oh. as she would like them to be. And look, it was a very atmospheric book for me. Pervasi's created this sort of sense of Julia sitting under the shade of the trees with McAllister, with the heat around them. You know, they're working outside. She's frequently hot and thirsty. And McAllister is less so because he's acclimatised, of course. So coupled with his evasiveness, for me, it kind of started to create some unease. Yes, I'm feeling uneasy because <laughs> I'm suspicious of things yeah, now. Yeah, and it, I guarantee you it is not what you think. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's also a suggestion, and this isn't a spoiler because this is on the back cover blurb, it's the suggestion that the seven stories may be connected in some way to a real murder that took place oh. in London almost 30 years ago, which was known as the White Murder. But despite his collection having the same name, he isn't able to help Julia with the theory. McAllister doesn't, can't help her with the theory. And that sort of adds to deepening what if, sort of the deepening mystery. But, of course, the seven stories, because they were written in the 1930s, and there, is, there are some gruesome parts to them, you know, there's some gruesome endings met by victims and there's the occasional brutish detective, but they do have that civilised veneer yeah, to yeah, them, which yeah, I know you, yeah. you really appreciate like in the Dorothy writing. Sayers, yes, yes, yes. The people all seem to be of a particular class or at least class is signalled in the oh, stories okay. and there's a genteelness. I, 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 don't know, I don't know really how best to describe it. I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. And, look, I am definitely a bit smug when it comes to crime fiction. Well, you're good at guessing <laughs> well, and I'm not. <laughs> I think I can pick suspects and plots a mile off. This book, oh. which is, of course, books within books. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, a story within a story. It has so many plot twists, I did not see any oh. of it coming. It's quite an ambitious story. Some people might find it a bit too complicated because there's quite a bit of toing and froing, and it's a book that you kind of need to keep track of yes. as you go. Yeah. And it's interesting because the reader, as Julia is beginning to think certain things, you're almost thinking a little bit ahead of her in that regard. Yeah. It's very cleverly written. He's a great writer. So that's Eight Detectives, Alex Pervasi. It's published by Michael Joseph, which is an imprint yeah. of Penguin. And interestingly, Pervasi um, himself has a PhD in mathematics. So he's using what he knows. Yes. But I, I highly recommend that book. It's a great one. That sounds so good, Louise. I've got all sorts of theories, which are probably all wrong, but I do love that sense of someone going back and investigating because you, th you think, what are they going to uncover yes. all these years yes. later? Cause, which happens in real life, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Mm. What have you been reading? Well, my next one is also a crime book. It's a crime thriller in that there's a mystery, but it's the thriller part is unfolding during mm. the book rather than just solving something that's already happened, which I think I'm better with. Yes. Because <laughs> I do get very scared. <laughs> I'm such a chicken. Uh, and this did terrify me, I have to say. So the prologue is a scene where there's a young school teacher and she has been unconscious in the Tasmanian bush and she's just regained consciousness. She's on her own. She's cut and bruised. She's got a head injury. She's missing her socks mm. and I think uh, bits of her clothing. She doesn't know where she is. And most importantly, she does not know where her group of schoolgirls are. So that's the opening. And so you're just thinking, oh, my God. And she's frightened. That's the other thing about her. She's terrified. And there's mentions of him. And so she, instead of coming out onto a path when she hears a noise, she scuttles into the bush, oh. which just made, made me completely terrified. Mm. And then one of the schoolgirls appears. And it's um, present day. Present day. Yeah. And so that's the prologue. And then chapter one cuts back to mm. one of the characters, which is one of the young schoolgirls, getting ready for the school excursion or mm. field trip is mm. what they call it in America. And the school excursion is into the Tasmanian bush, which for the benefit of our overseas listeners is very beautiful, very pristine, 
in parts very rugged, very wild, dense, very wild, very beautiful, mm. but in parts quite impenetrable. Mm. So a perfect location. Mm. And this story sort of has a slight picnic at Hanging Rock oh, vibe to it. Yes, with the missing girls. Mm. And there's a bit of a a slightly ethereal quality to it as well. And that ties in a little bit to an Indigenous spiritual quality as well. So it's a bit more of a modern day take on that. But then it's also got a much more modern and immediate type of story. Yes. It scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. (laughs) But I could not put it down. And one of the amazing things about it was that having just recorded our conversation about books with twins, Mm. this was the next book that I picked up. And it has two sets of identical twins, which are integral to the story, which I thought was amazing. I love it when that sort of thing happens with books. So one of the teachers at the high school is an identical twin, and one of the other teachers at the high school is married to her identical twin, so her brother-in-law, who is a teacher at the school, and they're both on the, Mm. the hike into the bush. And two of the students are identical twin girls, one of whom has a hugely popular YouTube channel and social media following, hundreds of thousands of people follow her, and she has smuggled her phone into the excursion in her bra and everyone else has handed their phone in to be left behind at the school. She has to maintain her... So everyone else doesn't have a phone, but she does. Is she a bit of an it girl? She's a dreadful it girl. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Rules don't apply to her. Yeah. And she's a manipulator and she's a bully and all of those things. Mm. They all head off on the trek through the bush and then we learn that a group of girls went missing in the same area a few years earlier Mm. and were never found. (gasps) And then another girl from the school committed suicide oh. at a, it's called the Hanging Tree, not Hanging Rock, but at a very prominent spot, which they go to, and she's connected to all of them in different ways. She's one of the wow. teacher's nieces. And then four girls on the trip go missing at, in, the incident, in the incident where the teacher wakes up from being unconscious. So, and I've only really told you that, you know, tiny, tiny first bit of oh, the first can chapter. can I borrow that? That absolutely, sounds fantastic. Absolutely. And I'm not going to say any more. It's really gripping and I think you would enjoy it, Lou. And there you are. <laughs> Thank you very yours. much. <laughs> so, Real Dingo Noir. Yes, that was The Bluffs by Kyle Perry. And it was sent to me by Penguin Random House. Also a Michael Joseph imprint. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'm definitely going to read that and I'm going to read it soon. It looks fantastic. Yeah. So did you have another one you were going to tell us about? Yes, I do. And I picked this book of the books that I read over the break. And can I just say, I did not read extensively over the break because no. I was watching a lot of television. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> I did that too, actually. But of the books that I did read over the break, this is I picked this one because I know a lot of people have already read it and it could not be more different from The Eight Detectives and it's also a book oh, that yeah. attracted a lot of hype. So this is Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. Uh, I know you've read it, Ginny. Um, it came out in Australia uh, at the end of May. Of course, we were all a bit distracted by COVID and I'm really catching up on all the hype. But to be honest, I just want an excuse to talk to you about it on the podcast. (laughs) So for those of you who haven't read it, it's the fictional story of the reimagined life of Hillary Clinton. Rodham is, of course, Hillary's maiden name. She was Hillary Diane Rodham. So this is what her life might have been like had she not married Bill Clinton. Some people have called it, it's Hill without Bill. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've seen that in a couple of places. (laughs) Look, many of my friends have not enjoyed the book at all or they've been quite perplexed by it. And there are parts of it where I feel quite conflicted, but I still wanted to try and make some sense of it. Mm. And I'm not going to divulge the trajectory that Hillary's life ultimately takes in the book. But the book opens with Hillary and Bill's early life. In fact, pretty much a third plus of the book is their early life. And everyone agrees that that most of that is based on facts up until the point where she declines to marry him. So it is essentially the proverbial sort of what if. I'm sure Sittenfeld would have, she would have read all of the books about Hillary Clinton and so much so that, you know, there are parts that have been lifted from a couple of uh, Hillary's biographies because I think Hillary's written three books about herself. Yeah, that's Um, what I assumed too. Yeah. But for me, I think that's the problem with this book. 
because it draws so heavily for the first third of the book on real facts, she's not so much writing a fictional Hillary. She's written a part of her life that is fictional. And so for me, it feels a bit like she's having her cake and eating it Absolutely. too. Absolutely, I would have preferred it, I think, if the book had imagined an entirely fictional life for Hillary Clinton, where she didn't have a relationship with Bill Clinton Where she at never all. even met him, so it stopped well, before Or she, she met- could have seen him at law school. She could have yeah, seen him okay. from a, at a distance. She could have come across him in politics later on, but I didn't want her to have a relationship with him at all for this book to be believable. And I think Sittenfeld kind of forfeits the idea of building a believable fictional alternative life for Hillary because she has relied so heavily on a very strong reality. Truth, yes. Between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she really wanted to celebrate and liberate Hillary. And I don't think she's been able to do that because it's always being judged by reference to Bill Clinton. Yeah. And, you know, I think it would have just, you know, it would have been ambitious, of course, but it would have been a more interesting work of fiction if we hadn't had that early relationship in there. And, of course, you know, it's always so ambitious to write a what if when the person is still alive and also when their life is being played out to such an extent, albeit the fact that, you know, Hillary has stepped back a great deal. She still attracts a great deal of attention. She's got a lot of ardent supporters and a lot of ardent haters. Yeah. And so this was always going to polarise Yes, it was, particularly uh, in America. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also the point because I think that it's striving to reset Hillary's image or correct her image and that is so much more entrenched in America than here. I think it's too late. Yeah. I think for us, we do have a bit more distance from it. So Definitely. it can be a bit more analytical yeah. and a bit more forgiving. But I think in America, it's so you're entrenched. You're either one or the other yeah. and yeah, you're I not agree. going to change. So I think I agree I agree with you that. So, look, I think it, you know, it wasn't all negative for me. I think she writes really well. And I, I have to say, I didn't ever stop reading it. There was never a stage where I wanted to stop. I know other people have disagreed with that. And I think the book does raise some interesting issues about, you know, two people with very lofty ambitions and the misogyny that is yeah. clearly yeah. entrenched at a high level in politics. Yeah. I mean, Hillary was, for a very long time, as you know, we were on the record of saying, the only woman in the room. Yeah. And that created a particular type of woman. Yes. So, look, I, I'm not entirely, you know, politics aside. What did you think about the moral issue of taking someone's life and whiting out their husband and their children. Yeah, look, it's fraught. Really, it yeah. is really fraught. That's why I had a real problem yeah. with that. I feel like what must I that... actually didn't have a problem with her whitey out Bill Clinton. No, just the, in theory, I have a problem mm. with that. I think mm. it must not be very nice for Chelsea no. to think there's this story out there where she doesn't exist and no. her children don't exist. And, and look, you know, I think... That wasn't Curtis Sittenfeld's intention. I think her intention was to say what a capable woman Hillary Clinton was way back from her Wellesley days. Yes. You know, she was on this trajectory. You know, she had the guts to stand up to that senator, you know. But having put all that early stuff in, she then, I think, wanted... I don't know that it was a tribute to her, but I think it was saying... Well, I'll play devil's advocate to that Mm. because I think... One of my big problems with it, and I did struggle in the middle, I mm. skimmed the middle, mm. but and I loved the ending, which surprised me, but I found it very satisfying. But I had huge ethical issues with mm. it, uh, and I probably wish I hadn't read it now mm. because I think, well, if I've got ethical issues, but it was sent to me and I thought, well, if I'm going to criticise it, I probably should mm. read it, which in hindsight is not the right approach. I should have said, no, I'm not going to read it. But what I really struggled with was in the very first... 30 or 40 pages, Mm. I would say, I think I started to count because I was getting so cranky about it. There were about, I don't know, 10 references, maybe more. It's a while since I read it now, so I've Mm. forgotten, of Hillary, Hillary's self-doubt about her looks and feeling that she wasn't good looking enough for someone like Bill and not being good enough for the guys that she was attracted to and that she had to wait for a guy to ask her out before she would become interested in them. She's on the record as saying some of those things, though. 
Okay. So I think that was part of, I don't think that's necessarily something that's been imposed by this book. Okay. Well, see, I, because I'm not a scholar mm. of Hillary, I'm not that interested in no. her one way or the other. I sort of, she's a, you know, she's a long way from my yeah. field of, of interest. I have sort of a fleeting interest in, in her, but... I don't know which things are true and which yes. things are false. I, yes. I found the sexual stuff between her yes. just so revolting and icky and I just, yeah. I just did but not I, want I to think know that, that. I think that was also, albeit very clumsy and awkward, I think that was Sittenfeld trying to reset the image of Bill being this, you know, sexual predator, which arguably, you know. But then she makes him into a huge sexual predator. Yeah, yes, no, but I mean I think it, it's suggesting that actually Hillary had had a sexual appetite as well. Oh, I see. I think, I think they're just trying to reset the balance and oh, saying it okay. wasn't all Bill. Okay. You know, she was really attracted to him because I think that's the one thing that isn't in doubt, that they were very yeah, deeply and, attracted and in love. And they seem to still be. Yes, I saw his video have, the other day where he was sort of faffing around behind her. Yeah, huge admiration for they're each other, respect for each other. Together. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was trying to say that she's not this passive yeah. person in the relationship okay. sexually. Yeah, She's yeah, was I think it yeah. was clumsy. Yeah. I just um, I just I, I didn't, didn't want to read it. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I probably would read a book that I had ethical issues with because I, yeah. I wanted to. Yeah, well, that's what I thought at the beginning. <laughs> so I thought, I, you know, I can't criticise this without no. having read it. Yeah. But then having read it, I thought yeah. I still have the same issues and I now feel like I've bought into something that I probably, yes. so I don't know what the right yeah. answer is. I, look, I'm still very conflicted about it. Yeah. I, I, I did quite like the cameos of Trump and, and Clinton at yeah. the time, yeah. of Bill yeah. Clinton. I think they were yeah. quite funny. Yeah, and I did love the part where she realised the impact she'd had on her black friend when she had decided to run and it meant that the yes. black friend didn't run. Yeah. And at the time she said it's got nothing to do with race Yeah, and then she had that light bulb realisation. Yeah. I yeah. loved that. I thought yeah. that was very well yeah. done. Yeah, I think it's an attempt to humanise, reset records, and I don't think it achieves it. No. And I think one of the reasons it doesn't achieve it and... Again, politics completely aside, this has got nothing to do with politics. The reality is, is that there's a little bit of me that thinks Hillary didn't need to be reset in the sense that she became a US senator. Yeah, she became that's right. I Secretary don't think she did either. So in some ways, it's a bit patronising. Yes, to, to think help. she needs Curtis's help. <laughs> yeah, because to me, her real life is way more interesting and yeah. stranger than fiction I anyway. Agree. I agree. So to me, I don't really know why. Well, I think it was to sell books. Yeah. I'm going to be really cynical and say, yeah. and it's succeeded. I mean, it's sold a lot of books. Yeah. I don't know. That's Rodden by Curtis Sittenfeld. If you want to buy into the controversy. Yeah. Yeah, I still urge people to read it because it's a great one for a chat. Yeah. What else have you been reading? So I've got two more books that sort of both touch on World War II. Oh, good. Uh, so they sort of, there's some commonality there, which was not intentional because I did read lots of other books, but I just selected these because they were the most interesting. So the first one was The Vanishing Sky by L. Annette Binder and this was sent to me by Bloomsbury. This is set during World War II but it's about a German family with teenaged sons who are serving in the Hitler Youth Ooh. Corps which is not a perspective we no. read about very often at all and there's really not a lot of appetite for looking back at this time in history from the point of view of the Nazis no. understandably but this goes there. So Annette Binder is German born and she lives in America and she brings that German perspective to the story. And although the war is the background to the story, to me the book is really about the effects of mental illness mm. in a family, particularly back then when there wasn't the understanding that we have now about, uh, or that we're starting to have, mm. about the different mental health issues and different diagnoses. So you look at it through the prism of the 1940s and it's, really quite fascinating and sad in a way. The story is mainly told from the mother's point of view, Mutti, and she is very burdened by worry. And, in fact, I think one of the first lines in the book is, it was worry that made her fat. It made her fat even as it made other mothers thin. So she's this sort of chubby German mother and her husband fought in World War I and he's very eager to get in there and fight again in the next war. Mm and be useful. He wants to be as useful as he was. And I think he was decorated and, and highly regarded mm. in the first four. But his mind is not quite right. 
and he has to make do with being in a type of local home guard, mm. so whatever the equivalent was in Germany. And then even that becomes problematic because he's got mental health issues. Mm. And the two sons, who are sort of only just sort of late teenagers, also have mental health issues, probably inherited from their father and their grandfather. But these are just very, very young men. They're still in their teens. One of them does little magic tricks with coins and cards, and he's not much more than a child. Uh, and the other one doesn't want to be involved in the war, but they are Hitler youth. You just yeah. can't escape that angle of it. And so it's a beautiful story. The thing I really loved about this is the writing. It is absolutely beautiful writing. It has a sort of a calm, slightly dreamy quality. It's very peaceful and simple, and yet there's plenty of forward mm. momentum to the story. The dialogue is very restrained between each of the members of the family, and so much is left unsaid, but a lot is communicated, or certainly communicated to the reader, whether it's communicated to the other members of the family is part of the issue. I'm not going to say much more about the plot. It's sort of right towards the very end of the war. Mm. So that becomes key. And the story sort of builds towards that very dramatic end when the Nazis knew they were defeated. It is a reminder, though, isn't it, that, you know, ordinary German families got caught up yeah. in their children joined clubs, which happened to be the Hitler Youth. Exactly. A lot of very ordinary people got yeah. caught up in yeah. it, just simply on the other side. Yeah. And you're so complex because if you didn't, yeah. you could get dobbed in and, or, yeah, it was. it's not just as simple as saying, well, I wouldn't have been involved in that. I would have been better. Yeah. It's just much more complex than that. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, really, really beautiful mm. story. And I haven't gone into the details of the story too much because I don't want to give any spoilers mm. away, but it's I really recommend that one. Excellent. And then the other one I read, which I have had on my bookcase for a long time, I've been wanting to read because so many people have said it's a great book and I absolutely loved it. It's The History of Love by Nicole Krauss. Mm. It has its origins in Poland in World War II at the time when the Nazis rolled into Poland, but most of it's set in New York and it has the most clever, complicated plot, which reminds me a little bit of The Luminaries by oh, yes. Eleanor yeah. Patton, which has one of those intricate plots mm. where the gold was discovered, is then sewn into the mm. dress which ends up on the ship and, you know, and it goes round Beautiful. and round. Really Beautiful. clever. And if you like that sort of thing, mm. you would enjoy this book. And another book that's a bit like that is The Secret Scripture by Sebastian Barry, with these little clues embedded in little just a, one little word or a little sentence. And you think, oh, you know, this is the same character as that, but they've got a different name now. Or I love that sort of mm. book. This does require a bit of the reader, which I like. Yes. I, I do like playing detective mm. and noticing those fleeting clues and figuring it all out. And not everyone does enjoy that sort of thing, mm. but I, I do But that's love it. why you'll enjoy Eight Detectives. Exactly. It's yeah. so me. Mm. Uh, if it's well done. I don't like if it's all over the shop and yeah. it's a mess, but if you can trust the author and yes. they know where they're going, mm. you just go with it, and I, I love that. It's quite hard to explain this one. It opens with an old man called Leo Gursky, and he's talking about his death. He's very old, and he's mm. talking about his death. And he appears to have nobody in his life, and he's very careful to go out and and make contact with people and be remembered when he's shopping or every interaction he sort of wants to make memorable so that he's not invisible. Mm. It's, it's really quite a, an interesting insight into loneliness and old age. He had escaped Poland when the Nazis rolled into his village and had somehow managed to get out and get to New York. And then it becomes apparent that he's not so alone in the world as first appeared, mm. and I'm not going to give anything away there. And then the second chapter is a young girl named Alma and she's talking about her family and how her parents fell in love over a little book that her father had found in an old Spanish secondhand mm -hmm. bookshop and the book's called The History of Love. And all of the stories in that book contain a character named Alma. So her parents had named, named her, her after, after the character. Lovely. And it appears that these stories are not connected mm. at all. And I wasn't even sure if they were set at the same time. It's got a timeless quality to it. It's sort of modern but not hyper-modern. 
And then chapter three is about the author of the book, The History of Love. And that also seems pretty unrelated, but there's just starting to be slight clues. And then the stories just keep moving forward with just a clue here and a clue That's very there, clever. That they might have a vague connection to one another. And then it gets incredibly clever and the story spirals around and around and all the dots are joined how in the they, most brilliant way. How do they write a book like that? It's extraordinary, yeah, isn't it? It's, I think you'd probably start back at the end and then just work out how. And, and do you think you have probably three stories on the go prob- at once? Probably, and, then you, yeah. and post-it notes all over your wall or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I loved it and I would read more by her because she's really in control of her story. It's, yeah. It has that mastery to it yes. that I just love. Yes. So that was The History of Love by Nicole oh, Krauss. Excellent. Mm, excellent. Really, really good. So what else have you been diving into, Lou? Well, you know, our podcast is pretty much a year old. Did you know that? Oh, no. Yeah. Our first episode went out on the 20th of September last year. I know. What a year that has been. I know. And we've got each of you to thank because you've all been really supportive. Yeah. But I was reflecting on this because last year I talked about going to the Cinefest Oz Film Festival. Yeah, I've, oh. I've just been last weekend. So Cinefest Oz is a very special film festival here um, in Western Australia. It's our most prominent film festival and it takes place in our beautiful southwest, which is an area that's known for beaches and vineyards. And it's always been very easy to convince showbiz types to go because they get wined and dined. Yeah, and it's and such a beautiful area. It's a beautiful area. And the audience is a very passionate sort of film industry and film-watching audience. So, yeah. um, And everybody makes the effort to book accommodation and go down for yeah. four or five days, which is what we've just done. And there's so much beautiful, glamorous accommodation down yeah, there. There is, yeah, and beautiful restaurants yeah. and vineyards. And, and, of course, this year was always going to be different because of COVID-19. And although we've got fewer restrictions than elsewhere in the world, we, of course, have a hard border. So with some exemptions, people can't leave or enter our state. So that, of course, prevented people coming to the festival from interstate and overseas. And they seriously reduced the number of tickets that were sold for the event, which which was fine. And there were fewer events to go to. But there were a few things that we went to which were great that I wanted to mention. And actually the actress Kate Walsh. Oh, yes. Who is stuck in Western Australia. Well, I don't think I'd say stuck. I think she chose to come here. So she... I think she's quite happy. Was Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. And private practice and various other things. I shouldn't just reduce her career to Grey's Anatomy, but she's probably best known from Grey's Anatomy. Well, she's in Western Australia at the moment and she was there. She was pretty much every event. She did a couple of Q&As. Oh, wow. And she is now this incredibly noisy advocate for yeah. a film hub here, which was fantastic. Yeah. So I attended two shorts programs and I really enjoy the shorts because they're the new filmmakers coming oh, through yes. and you get to see the sort of new talent in the pipeline. I think it's a shame that you don't often get a chance to see shorts commercially. They tend to just do the rounds of film festivals and both shorts programs were really interesting, you know, some more so than others, but I really did enjoy them. We did also see one short film, Our Law. It's already been on TV in Australia and I think that they showed it again at the film festival because they're trying to turn it into a television series and it centres on a police station in Warakuna or Wara. In outback Western Australia. It's in the Goldfield region and it's the only known completely Indigenous run police station in Australia. And it was fascinating. And you become quite invested in the officers. And the main officer was an Aboriginal lady, Wendy. Um, How wonderful. Yeah. And she shared some of her personal history. She'd sort of gone off the rails as a young woman and then had become a cadet. You mean she spoke about it at the festival or in the film? No, in the film. And then she also was there and attended a oh, Q&A. Oh, that's so cool. It was fabulous, yeah. And she's now been moved on from Warakuna. She went to Geraldton oh. to do some youth policing. And what they're trying to do, I think, is follow her a little bit around, make a TV series, but then return to the stations and the places that she's been working at. That sounds so good. Yeah, and look, you know, she's now a leader in community policing, but what was lovely is that she's showing how a policing approach that recognises and understands cultural issues can make a difference. Yes. And it was short, sort of 30, 40 minutes, but it was great. Wow, that Um, sounds really good. I hope they get funding. Keep an eye out for that. Yes. Yes. Our law. 
I think it might have been on SBS. When you said sure. our law, I thought you were talking going to talk about Indigenous cultural law yes. rather than... Uh, well, um, it's a play on words, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, 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 which I like. I think that's clever. And we also saw a feature film, Disclosure, which I think will get general release, although possibly it might suit a different format than the big screen. We all enjoyed it and it made for fantastic discussion over dinner. So essentially that's the story of two couples, each with young children. So there's a politician and his rather highly strung wife, and she has reasons to be highly strung, which I won't give away. They've got two sons, aged four and nine, and then there's another couple, both journalists, and they have a daughter who is four. And during a playover, it's alleged that the nine-year-old boy does something to the two four-year-olds. Wow. And the journalist couple are about to send their daughter to counselling, and they would like the other couple to do the same, but the politician and his wife are in denial and they oh, fundamentally God. disagree as to the best way to sort of oh. to handle the situation and move forward. And, of course, their own personal issues and interests get in the yeah. way of the decision. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. So quite a few of our group thought that it felt like a play because oh. most of the film was filmed outside. Like just in one spot. Or- yeah, outside by a pool, right. just the four of them. Yeah. So it could be adapted really well for the stage. Yes. And it also would be quite good for television as well. Yeah. So that's Disclosure. And that's not to be confused with the transgender movie, which has just been released on Netflix oh, okay. by the same name. But, that yeah, that's to, worth looking out for. It was mm, very well done. Mm. Reminded me a little bit of the novel The Slap. Yes, that's what I'm picturing. By Christian Salakis. Christos Chokos. Thank you very much. Yes. You, you, yes. you can pronounce the Greek far better than I can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then finally on the sort of closing evening and closing party night, we went to the much-anticipated Australian debut of the film adaptation of Dirt Music. Oh, yeah. Tim Winton novel. Bizarrely, it had already screened at the Toronto Film Festival last year and it had been screened on American Netflix last year, something to do with the distribution rights. Such a shame it was not screened in Australia first. But there's a real history to the making of this movie. Tim Winton is, of course, one of our own. He's a very well-known Western Australian writer and he wrote Dirt Music in 2001. We might do an episode on Tim Winton, Mm, mightn't we? We definitely should. And it was always flagged as a film-worthy novel. And very briefly, it's the story of Georgie Jutland, who is a free-spirited woman, formerly a nurse, and she's in a loveless relationship with an older man who is a successful commercial fisherman, and his wife has died, leaving him with two young children, and they live in the mid-northwest of Western Australia, where the coastline is spectacular. And she falls in love with a poacher, Luther Fox, and their romance is essentially the story. And so Philip Noyce, who is, you know, a veteran Australian yeah, director, yeah, very producer, well yeah, he was to be the director and he got an option to direct it for 11 years and he'd lined up Rachel Weiss to play the oh. role of Georgie Jutland. In fact, she was invested in the project for years and years and years oh. and he then lined up the late Heath Ledger to play oh. um, Luther Fox and Russell Crowe. Perfect cast, yes. fabulous cast. But then Heath Ledger delayed filming because he was in The Dark Knight and then, of course, we know he died yeah, during the yeah. filming of Dark Knight, so it was incredibly sad. And then various other things happened and so in 2013 Philip Noyce's option to direct expired. expired. Right. So this is a whole new production and I know it shouldn't matter and the industry is global but it is such a quintessentially Australian movie. Mm. So I was really disappointed that the cast was, apart from David Wenham and Steve Bisley, the cast was... I'm glad they're in it, but, yeah, yeah, I wish it was more Australian. Australian. And we've got so many great actors. Yeah. I mean, a couple of our party thought that they didn't showcase the landscape as well as they could. And, of course, landscape is such an enormous part of Tim Winton's novels. I actually disagree. I, the, you the, thought it was good enough. It was, it was beautiful. beautiful yeah. it, for me, it's such a big story. Yeah. It is quite hard, I think, to make it. And this was quite a short movie. It was like an, an hour and maybe a half. It, right. it wasn't long wasn't the movie. big two and a bit. No. Hours. And of course, so you can't have lots and lots of shots of the yeah. Of the I mean, I mean, they the, the, certainly when Luther Fox takes off. Yeah, and they had beautiful footage of the North oh, Western stunning. Coast. It was stunning. Yeah, but yeah, it perhaps could have made more of it. And as we know, the book 
ends on a cliffhanger, yeah, yeah. as does the movie. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I still really enjoy yeah, it. And I, I still really want to see it because yeah, yeah. I loved the yeah. book. And apart from the film festival, I've been watching a lot of television. Yeah, so no, that's good. I've got two series I just want to quickly mention. Yeah. The first one is Dead Wind. Don't know that. Fin- Haven't Finland. heard it. Oh, so wow. if you're a Scandi Noir oh, wow. fan. Dead Wind. It was released in the Northern Hemisphere, I think, Late 2018. Okay. But series one and two are now available in Australia. On what? I think it's Netflix. Okay. So that's Dead Wind. And it follows Sophia Carpi. She's a detective in the Finnish police. Oh. She's recently widowed. She's in her 30s and she's got two children. Oh. And she's been living in Germany, but she returns to work in Helsinki. So, you know, it is that Helsinki landscape, which yeah, is we grey and grim. We were this year. But so that'll yeah, have to do instead. It will. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, she's not like Saga from the bridge. Yeah, okay. You know, she's living out her emotions a lot more. Okay. I did wonder when I first saw her, oh, gosh, is yeah, she meant to yeah, be like yeah, Saga? Yeah, but yeah. It, it's really, really oh, good. Oh, that That's sounds good. great. And the other show which I've really enjoyed is the crime series Traces. No, I haven't seen that either. Set in Dundee, Scotland. Oh, No, but I just love a Scottish (laughs) accent because I've been watching Shetland. Oh, I love Shetland. It's one of my favourites. This actually is interesting. This series was written by the British actress Amelia Bullimore. Oh, I know her. Yeah. Yeah. And it was based on an idea by the crime writer Val McDade. Oh, wow. So that's quite interesting. So we have so many police officers as protagonists. In this show... The protagonists are not the detectives. She's a new graduate employed as a lab assistant to the forensic chemical and anthropological labs that assist the police. That's a good angle. Yeah, really good angle. And she's returned to Scotland and we learn very early that her reason for leaving as a seven-year-old girl had been the murder of her mother. Oh, wow. So it's the same production team that made Years and Years and Happy Valley. Oh. And, yeah, great. A lot of female characters. A lot of the professors at the labs are female. They're not stereotypical female this characters. This sounds so mean. They're a bit unusual, a bit quirky. I love it. Really enjoyed it. Because I adored Happy Valley yeah. and Years and Years. So. Well, that's Traces. Traces. And I'm already hoping they make series yeah. two. Yeah. Oh, my God, that sounds so good. Oh, they're great, Lou. What have you been diving into? Um, I have been... Are loving a podcast. It's only four episodes and it's called RN Presents and then it's Patient Zero. Mm. So it's part of the Radio National podcast, hence the RN Presents in the title. And so they do a running series of podcasts, but these are just the most recent four and they're all on different outbreaks of diseases Uh, which may not be for everyone at this time. I know some people do not need any more pandemic in their lives. (laughs) But these are more about the various incidences of how disease started and the cover-ups by different agencies or governments. And, you know, give me all the cover-ups. I love a good cover-up. I find them fascinating. That's more interesting than the actual... Absolutely. And the gall of it and all, all that sort of thing. So the first episode is on the outbreak of cholera in Haiti, which was about six months after those big earthquakes. Mm. And that, that, that has some intriguing and very mm. high-level cover-ups that you just can't believe mm. because people knew and continue to do what they shouldn't be doing and at a very high level. I, I, that was the best episode, I think. The second episode is about AIDS, which I found fascinating just because we lived through that, but it is interesting to go back and Absolutely. see it all sort of documented, yes. yeah. you know, from the beginning. The third one is also fascinating. It's about a group of transplant patients in Melbourne who all died after receiving organs from one donor. Oh. And that was dreadfully sad. Oh, but it God. did result in discovering and sort of improving methods of tracing yes. organ yeah. transplant. So there was a good outcome to that. And that was also fascinating. And then the most recent one is on our current pandemic, which I found the least interesting yes. because I feel like I've got a degree in epidemiology, mm. <laughs> as we all do. Yes. We all feel like we are experts. It's interesting, though, isn't it, with the whole, you know, the pandemic and the history of them in that there was almost a paternalistic approach. We don't want everyone to panic. We we know better than them. We won't let the general population know. And that would have washed okay many years ago. It doesn't wash anymore. It doesn't wash anymore, does it? it doesn't wash. And that whole kind of balancing act for a government and authorities in terms of, 
what we should tell them, what we shouldn't tell yep. them. Well, it just doesn't. The equation's changed yep. completely, hasn't yep. it? Really, it's completely changed. And we because of liability happy. and all sorts and of social media means yeah. we we find out anyway. Yeah. We go and get our own experts. You know, yeah, you can go and listen to any epidemiologist mm. or virologist or genomic code person to be interviewed and you can find out all Mm. you need to know and you can realise that, you know, what the Prime Minister's saying may not be completely true or, you know... And the fact versus fiction thing also is a problem because the whole fact-checking thing as well is a a huge, huge issue. So I really, really loved that little series. That was great. And then the other thing, which is completely different, light fluff that I have been diving into is the Home Edit series on Netflix. The Home Edit is my current obsession. I'm in the <laughs> middle of doing my pantry. Home Edit style, all decanted flour and pasta. And all. Well, when you finish, perhaps you could come yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. And the guy at Howard Storage World is my new best friend. <laughs> he just looks at me when I come in because I'm doing it bit by bit. So I, buy, I go, how many pasta do I need? I buy, buy little bits and then I go back. So I'm in there sort of every few days just buying two or three more bits. So this series has just dropped. By the time this goes to air, I will have watched the whole eight episodes. I've only done three. And the first one, they go to Reese Witherspoon's house mm. and she only gets them to do in one ward. It's this new house that she's had renovated mm-hmm. in, I think it's Tennessee, and it's this whole wardrobe for all of her costumes that she's had in storage. Oh, wow. So they get to pull out all of the legally blonde stuff and they've got Bruiser the dog in his basket and the pillbox pink hat and wow. all the pink. she got to keep everything. She got to keep all her stuff and it's all been in storage and it's all in wrapped in plastic and boxes and it's got all the jewellery and the fluffy slippers in the oh, scene where wow. she's crying crying in the robe Mm. and there's a whole team of them. There's the two home edit ladies who have the most lovely relationship Mm. and then they've got all these girls that come in and help them and it's a full day's work and they've got walk the line and then they've got big little lies and and they keep everything together so they keep the shoes with the clothes with the and are they all they're organizing it they're organizing it into a wardrobe and labeling everything and and reese doesn't even really know what's in there she's only just moved in and all the boxes are there and she goes out for lunch with her mum and comes home to this superbly organized wardrobe it's so much fun you know all the costumes yes. because you've seen all the movies oh, how so. fantastic yeah it's not just celebrity organized not just celebrities and there's a really lovely one where there's a gorgeous doctor who's a paediatrician in Mm. America and she lives in this cute little house and she's got this enormous walk-in cupboard that's the only storage in the whole house but it's this massive massive cupboard or it's a room Mm. that's all got built-ins and they surprise her because she's so busy working around the clock as a paediatrician with very sick babies that all her work colleagues have clubbed in together and organised them to come and surprise her and she goes off with her friends to be a doctor yeah and they completely redo this room Wouldn't and you it, just love that it's so beautiful and they, she comes home and she's got it's all in zones and it's got there's all the different sized stethoscopes for all the different sized babies and that's all in one basket and it's, it's just gorgeous oh and uh, you know that's a real feel-good one yes. so i think there's sort of a mix of high-low you know and, and is there an element of marie kondo are they throwing out yeah there's a lot of culling Ed, edit is the first thing you get rid of yes, all the okay. rubbish and then you can see what you've got left yes. and then you oh. i can't remember what they're it's quite a good theory though it's quite yeah, a good yeah, formula yeah, yeah and it's just what you need because i i watched the news and i was worried we were going to get invaded by china and i went and watched this for three hours and i forgot about it <laughs> yeah you kind of need that escape yeah, escaped yeah. you. They completely forgot about yeah, the excellent. world and all the problems. So and it's spring, great. so it's perfect timing. Yeah, so you've I'm inspired me now, Virginia. Eight episodes, and it's just delightful. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you come and record next week, <laughs> things could be different. Yeah, everything will be in baskets and open canisters and labels. <laughs> because I, I have decluttered this room but it's just been moved to other piles yeah that's the trouble you've actually got to be brutal and get rid of stuff yeah i know so those are some of the books we've been reading Mm. and some of the things we've been diving into and enjoying in the past month let us know if you've read any of them any Mm. of the books and what you thought all the books are listed in our show notes and we post photos to instagram of all the books we discuss We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you have, we'd be so grateful if you would tell a friend 
or share our podcast on social media so that other people can find us. And we'll be back in a fortnight. We will be back in a fortnight. But there is one thing that we I forgot to mention, which is very important. Yes. So you're going to tell us about yes, it. Yes, I am. So we've been foreshadowing on our Instagram posts that we want to read another classic. Like we did Middle with March. You. We yeah, want to as, do it as with a read you, along. As a read along. And we had a couple of criteria. <laughs> one of them was not to pick a classic that was as long yeah. as Middlemarch. It had to be a bit shorter. It had to be a bit shorter and um, maybe not so intense as well, yeah. maybe. And also we, we asked for lots of recommendations, so thank you all very yeah. much we because got we got some, some great, great suggestions. Yeah. We really did. But we also wanted it to be a classic that Virginia and I had not yet read, both of us. So we have decided to read The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. Yes. And we have... Eight beautiful copies yeah. that we would like to give to a book club because we'd like you to read along with us. Sadly, because I suspect of postal issues at the moment, yeah. we will have to confine it to an Australian book club. Yeah. Do you think that's I think so. Australian yeah. or I New think, Zealand maybe? Yeah. yeah. Louise is going to send eight copies to your book club if she chooses you. She's, yes. She's going to choose a book club. So uh, what I'd love you to do is to write to Virginia and I and tell us a bit about your book club. Tell us maybe how you formed, something interesting about your book club, how long you've been together, the sort of books you've been reading, anything at all. Completely up to you. And we will pick one. We're going to read quite a few of them out, to be honest. Yeah. We'll read lots of them out, which is why we hope those of you who are not in Australia will also write to us and tell us about your book club. Yes, we love book clubs. Yeah, we do. We're we're fascinated we by them. And so we'd love you to write to us and we'll read some out and then we will pick one yep. and we will send you the books. And we'll do that probably in a couple of episodes' time because yes, obviously... because we want them to get to the book club we do. in time for yeah. our read-along. And our read-along will be maybe towards the end of November. I don't think we've even put in the schedule yet, have we? We haven't, um, put, in, we haven't put in the schedule. Well, the episode that we're going to, we'll probably record it late November and, okay. and it will release in early December. Yes. So, so that gives everyone plenty of yeah. time so to get thinking. borrow a copy from yeah. the library or yeah, yeah exactly. and to send in... Details about your book club if you'd yeah, like to win good. eight copies. Because I'd like to send them to you as soon as we can. So that would be yes. good stuff. Yes, that'll Start be good fun. I'm looking forward to yeah. that. And Very it is good. quite an accessible and a modest size. Yes. And has some interesting issues for today, I think. So yeah. I think we'll really enjoy that. So we'll be back in a fortnight for another conversation, which I'm really looking forward to. We've chosen a great theme for that one. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. We really enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for all your lovely reviews too. If you want to know more about today's books or anything else we've talked about, you'll find them in the show notes and we feature most of the books on our Instagram page too at diving underscore in underscore podcast. And if you'd like to share any books that you've been diving into, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hello at divinginpodcast.com. Bye for now. Breaking up. Shaping up, working in, diving in, breaking up, shaping up, working in, diving in. Hi, Lou. You meant to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good, aren't we? Welcome back to the land of... You meant to say hi back. It's radio and they can't you see. You didn't really give me a chance. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I was expecting you to chime straight in. I, in my head, I had an idea of how that was going to go.